You're listening to By The Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers with Fran Barber and Robin Whittaker. Hello everyone, Robin here. And um, today Fran is taking a day off and I am joined by our friend and colleague, the Reverend Dr. Sally Douglas. Welcome, Sally. Oh, hi, it's lovely to be here. And we're doing something a bit different today. This is a special bonus episode, as we like to call them, where we're just going to spend 25 to 30 minutes uh, getting into Mark's gospel. It's the year of Mark. We're going to do a quick kind of, you know, intro to Mark 101 in 25 minutes and condense what is normally a semester's worth of teaching for us. <laughs> we're going to try at least. <laughs> but let me tell you something about Sally. Sally is a Uniting Church minister at Richmond. She is also one of our associate faculty here at Pilgrim Theological College, where she teaches in the areas of um, New Testament, early Christian literature and theology. And um, she's author of a book called Early Christian Understandings of Jesus as the Female Divine, amongst other things. What are you working on at the moment, Sally? Oh, hi. Well, I've got several projects, but uh, in the coming months, I've got a new book coming out. Ooh. Yeah, it's exciting. So it's uh, not a highly, highly academic book. It's for uh, popular level reading and it's addressing that issue of uh, church decline and why I don't actually think that's happening. And it's called, Ooh. yeah, The Church as Salt, Becoming the Community Jesus Speaks About. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm so, really excited. So early church, New Testament, early church writers and engaging with some contemporary context as well. Fantastic. Well, we'll I, just saying it now publicly, we'll have to get you back to talk more about that at yeah. some stage, but it's not our topic today. Not in Mark, no. Oh, a little tiny bit <laughs> in Mark later, but yeah, yeah not central. Not much. <laughs> yep. No, that's good. So let's get into Mark and start with the sort of who, what, when, there, who wrote it, where, for whom, what do we know? Yeah, not a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's great to dive in. I love Mark's gospel for so many reasons. Um, so one of the things we do know is that it's probably the earliest text, earliest gospel that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some really gorgeous indications of that within the text that um, point us to that. So we don't know who wrote it. We don't. We can argue about where it was written or for what community, but there are these gorgeous little hints. Um, mm. So, for example, I just love at the very end, towards the end of Mark's gospel, Jesus is on the way to the cross and Simon's carrying the cross and the author just stops and says, that's Rufus and Alexander's dad. Yeah. And so whoever the author is and whoever they're writing to, they assume that they all know who Rufus and Alexander are. It's like, oh, yeah, we know them. Yeah. Um, and the other Gospels drop that out because they <laughs> – who? Who's? Yeah, yeah. We don't know Rivers Alexander. So it yeah. just gives us that immediacy sometimes in Mark, which is, isn't there in the same ways perhaps in the other Gospels. So I'd, there are these really gorgeous, there are more, but they're really gorgeous hints about it being early and it's very, um, it's on yeah. the go. It's very fresh. It is. Mm. Very dramatic. Yes. Well, well, yeah, the word immediately appears so many all times. over the place. And then, and then. And then Jesus did this and then they were there. Yeah. Um, so it, it does have that. It's also one of my favourite Gospels too. I think you and I are aligned on that. Yeah. Um, and it is, I mean, the scholarly consensus is it's the earliest Gospel or mm. at least the earliest one we have. Have so far, yep. As far as we know. Um, certainly Matthew and Luke draw heavily on it. Yes, um, and do all kinds of smoothing for their own agendas. Mm, yes. Um, so there's a kind of a rawness isn't perhaps quite the word in Mark because I also think it's highly literary and very carefully absolutely, crafted. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but, yeah. but maybe in that rawness thing it's more blunt. Yeah. So um, in the other Gospels, in various conversations, the disciples are really 
quite pious and they've got it together <laughs> a little bit more. Where in Mark, for whatever reason, the author chooses not to do that. They just say stupid things over and over again. And there's this kind of humour lilting through it as well with yep. some of those conversations. So that doesn't mean that it's not as sophisticated. Maybe it means it's a bit more honest. Mm. I don't know. There's yeah. different ways of interpreting that, I think. And we'll probably circle back to discipleship because that's a key theme it and is. Mark has that particular way of portraying the disciples as just pretty clueless, yeah, really, totally. which it's very heartening. Um, <laughs> but let's start with what are the Mark and themes that really stand out to you when you think of Mark? Mm. Look, I think one of the first and most important themes is quite confronting for us in contemporary Western context. It's cosmic forces. Mm. So the whole gospel is set in this end. Like, the world is not neutral. For the author and for the community that the author is writing to, cosmic forces are real yep. and they are destructive. And Jesus, uh, in coming among the people as the Holy One, and, you know, the first thing that Jesus does after calling the first disciples is, you know, liberation from cosmic evil, this unclean spirit, that the spirit recognises who Jesus is, yep. you're the Holy One, and it's all about liberation from this. So it's um, spreading the reign of God in a way that uh, is not just like, oh, isn't that nice? It's disrupting the reign of evil. Like yeah. there's a tension in the text the whole time. What we do with that is another question, but we have to be honest, I think, about going, well, this is the worldview in yep. uh, this community. We need to read it at least through that lens. Whether we agree with it or not is another thing entirely, but we need to acknowledge it as really present and really central. I agree. And, um, I mean, the language of demons and things is very uncomfortable for a lot of us in more liberal yeah. mainstream church yeah. traditions, but it's there in the text. It, it's a worldview. I mean, demons in Christianity became associated with evil, but the word demon just means spirit. Yeah. And there could be good and bad spirits That's and they're right. everywhere they're in every, the ancient exactly, world. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, can I just do this shout-out because I think it can be so hard for us to get uh, heads around it. There's this fantastic doco by the same director who did Samson and Delilah, an Indigenous mm. director, yep. Warwick Thornton, and it's called The Dark Side and it's got all these really fantastic Australian actors in it and some of them um, are telling the stories of other people, other Indigenous people, and some of those Indigenous people are telling their own stories about experience of spirits mm. and um, some are evil, some are comforting, um, some are people who have died and returned and I just think it's a beautiful reminder of this is how most people around the world thought not that long ago, like this Western assumption that it's all um, ridiculous or all dismissive of it. Yeah, yeah, it's like 100 years old or so, that view. I'm not saying it's not right or wrong. I'm just we need to think a bit more expansively and I think our Indigenous brothers and sisters can teach us a lot about this. So it's a great doco to look into the dark side. Fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes so people can find a link to it. Yeah. yeah, and, it, and I mean, that is, you've just reminded me, like, again, our, our Western-centric readings want to go to the scientific and the rational, yeah. and the text keeps drawing us into a wider, different way of seeing the world. So to be so dismissive of kind of that our experience of the world has this spiritual dimension yeah. is, you know, both, it's problematic in all sorts of ways, but it's it's so dismissive of other cultures yeah, who still, that is how they explain but, I mean, the work of preachers is obviously to do some of that translation. I think exactly. we, we need to be careful, and this is a bit off topic of Mark, but we need to be so careful that when we then use the language of the text of unclean spirits or demons, we aren't conflating it with mental illness yeah, exactly. or certain things in, in, in ways that are actually deeply problematic. Exactly. Particularly as there'll be possibly some people in our congregations mm. who've been told that by someone, that they have yes. an unclean spirit or so on. But I, I think that also invites us into a wider view about um, the kind of 
uh, the collective energy, if you like, that can happen because it, for example, the white supremacy stuff that we've seen in the United States mm. of America, like the collective power of um, lies and deception yep. and the way in which that is producing violence. Like I think the language of evil spirits is kind of helpful. I'm not saying that people are possessed, but there's, no. a, there's an energy that's bigger than the individuals that are part of it. Yes. And it can possess. Like people have been possessed by this kind of um, cons- whole caught, cons- caught up in caught it. Up yep. In it. Yep. So I think reclaiming and, as you say, really um, carefully and with nuance and, and bringing that re- those wrestling questions to the table as well, but it's really important for us potentially to engage with those notions and metaphors and symbols still because there's a truth there. There is a truth and particularly about um, the collective nature of evil and yes. when these sort of evil forces, if you want to call them that, bind together. Yep. We see in systemic racism and other, you know, systemic sexism, other, exactly. you know, they are the opposite of the liberation. So you started with, you know, Jesus liberates from. Yes. I think of Mark as the Jesus is the exorcist yes. gospel. Yeah. Uh, amen. Amen. <laughs> exactly. It's that liberation from. And so the, so then the invitation, rather than us fixating on, well, what exactly happened and what do we believe about that? I think mm. the much more important question um, in contemporary context, I mean, we can engage with those questions, that's fine, but is do we have a heart conviction that Jesus continues to liberate yep. in our own contexts? Yeah. And, and to cast out evil, to name evil and cast it out. And that's where, and what, and if we do, what, what does that mean for how we live and how we respond to evil and uh, how we name evil and so on? You know, like yeah. there's a, it's a real, then it gets super exciting and li- kind of links in with those questions around mm. discipleship. Definitely. And, I mean, for me that's one of the reasons why Mark is such a great gospel to preach. Yeah. Because I, th- I think it, there's all sorts of ways it speaks to ongoing contemporary issues. Yeah. Even though it's 2,000 years old. Almost, oh, I agree, I agree, yeah. I agree. Totally. Um. I, I'll, you, I'm sure, have lots of other themes. One of the themes in Mark for me is also the cross, yes. which directly relates to what everything we've just said. The yeah. cross is the liberation point. Yes. But there's something about suffering in Mark that's difficult and challenging, I think. Well, uh, yeah. So let, can we dive in here? Because I think this yeah. is so exciting. So in the way in which the gospel builds up with this, you know, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone who I am, Um and then this kind of revelation of, of Peter finally going, oh, you're the Messiah, but then freaking out entirely when Jesus <laughs> says, well, yeah, I'm going to suffer. Um, so that question of suffering is so central. Then the chapters that follow on from that, 8 and 9 and 10, it's all about them trying repeatedly, like three times, you know, is it recorded, mm-hmm. but you get the sense that it's a bigger conversation of how, yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm the one who inverts power, like I invert understandings of power. So I am the God one who gives self away. So it's not this glorification of suffering and it's um, there's not a sense in Mark's gospel that it's an atonement really. It's much more about this is the one who comes to serve, you know, I've come come to serve you. And so it entirely upends our constructs of God Mm. if, like the disciples, you think the God one's going to be about glory, 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 and I'm going to sit on your right hand and side. might and yeah, yep, all yep. those thi- all of those things are undone, and in such provocative and powerful ways. Um, but so it does invite us into suffering, but from the perspective of who the author of Mark understands Jesus to be, and Jesus is the one with authority, authority over evil, authority to teach, authority to heal, authority to forgive. He's he's the God one. Yep. Um, yeah. So then all our images of God just get undone. Yes, and what authority even looks like gets undone. Totally, yes. Um, that somehow this paradoxical entering into the very space of death and yeah. death as a 
cruel and punitive yep. tool and of the Roman yep. Empire to um, smash down anyone who spoke out against them or challenged their authority um, becomes the very point of liberation. Yeah. It's, it's, what paradox, what beauty. I know. There's a great book um, I used in class last year by a, an American author called Raquel St. Clair. Uh, I think it's called Call and Consequence, where she talks about suffering in Mark. Yeah. And um, her experience as a minister, she's African-American in African-American communities. And I mention it here because, again, (laughs) flagging the problems. The problem when we talk naively about suffering can be to leave people in suffering. Absolutely. Or to somehow, you know, worst case scenario, you hear these horror stories of women being told, well, it's your cross to bear to stay in an abusive relationship. So she really unpacks that and challenges it and talks about suffering. And Mark is suffering for Christ and with Christ. It is not any of those other things that we should actually be fighting to liberate people from precisely because of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and also those calls in Mark's gospel are situated in a context in which those first uh, readers and hearers, if they choose to go this way of Jesus, will likely um, cause attention from the Roman Empire and possibly suffer. Like there yeah. were some very literal, as in there were consequences. Yeah, very real consequences. Very real consequences. And in parts of the world, clearly not in the West, but in parts of the world that is still the case, in Iran and, and other places yeah. if you choose to leave Islam and become a Christian, that's a kind of life and death situation. But for us to then, oh, it's just appalling when we do these numbers on the text, take mm. them entirely out of context and then, ju- yeah, justify violence. We'd, and, and it's just deeply ironic because Jesus is the one who absorbs the violence and says, you know, this is not the way of God and calls us into this liberation from violence. Yeah, yeah exactly. So then we've unpacked the cross. And, of yeah. course, um, you know, the other thing just to bring it down to very basics in Mark, we don't have the infancy story. We also don't really have a resurrection no. story, certainly not an account, not a visual, no. you know, Love encounter. It. So we get left um with this, you know, confronting ending of an empty tomb. Mm-hmm. And frightened people. And frightened people yep. who are being sent back to Galilee. This is the bit of Mark I love. He commissions the women to tell the male disciples. Yes. Um, so women are there, central. Yep. first apostles. Um, but to tell the men to return to Galilee and meet Jesus there and there's a sense that the story begins again. Yes. So that discipleship is to go back to Galilee and kind start of start again. Start again and maybe this time you'll get a, just yeah. that little bit. More, which is right. so perfect because of that pattern in Mark, where the Jesus keeps telling them again and again yes. and again, and there's these beautiful interactions. You know, did you not understand about the bread yet? And they're like, "Why is he talking about bread?" You know, like there's yeah. this constant kind of you need to hear this again, and then that's all of us. We need to come back to this again, and yep. I love that ending too. That so um, people may or may not be aware that there's a shorter ending that that's seen as part of the manuscript, and it ends just with this cliffhanger of the women are terrified. You would be terrified like that's a mm. perfectly understandable response you've just seen this person killed by the state in the most agonizing way and now what yeah uh, where's he gone and there's some slightly angelic looking young man yeah, maybe maybe telling you he's gone yeah and you're like what what, what, what do you mean <laughs> like, yeah. so i love that authenticity of this gospel yes. yeah yeah it, it is the gospel of um as you said before kind of Human frailty and realness, not yeah. these pious super no, Christians. Exactly. You know, these are people figuring it out. Um, one other thing that really, this is the reading coming up uh, this Sunday, one of, one of the many, many delights of Mark is that it's a very, very different understanding of discipleship at the very beginning, I think, because mm-hmm. Jesus calls the disciples and they leave their nets and follow, but then um, a few verses later they go home for tea. Yes. They go back to Peter's house 
and his wife's mum is sick. Yeah. And so whatever leaving the nets, and Jesus doesn't say leave everything in Mark, it's just like, you know, come follow me. Yeah. So they leave the nets and they follow, and leave the dad. It doesn't mean um, neglecting your family or your relationships or your community and walking away. It's a really, really, really different understanding. It's mm. instead about inviting Jesus into the community, into the family. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't go, who cares that your mum-in-law's sick? Like he sees yeah, and responds. Yeah. So it's about Jesus meeting people in the midst of the chaos and the mess and the joy and the suffering of mm. family. So it's a very different understanding of discipleship in Mark. And I think that's quite intentional. And then Luke flips it. He can't cope. So he does, <laughs> so P- Peter's mum's killed first, then there's a the call. You know, it's much more and they leave everything. You know, it's a very different understanding and I would argue potentially patriarchal understanding, yep. you know, justify leaving care of family to other people. Which, you know, from what we know of the ancient world, if if the men of the home who earned the money left, you are potentially leaving a home in absolutely dire straits. Abs- and so vulnerable. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And it's Mark why widowed do women were vulnerable and, yeah. you know. Unwed girls were vulnerable. Exactly. If you didn't have a father or a brother or a husband to look after you in, in a structure where economically that's yep. how it worked, yep. you were, yeah. And Mark doesn't do that. Yeah. They go home and then again and again the conversations are at the house, at yep. the house. And then we know some of those women were on the road all the way yeah. to the cross. So holy, holy, holy. There is, um, yeah, I, I love that you've pointed that out because uh, I think that is striking in Mark and it's, yeah, I mean, it goes to Mark's use of hyperbole too. Mm. Because in that same suit, you know, he's healed a few people and then the whole town is at the door, yes. you know. So when we read the immediately and this and whole crowds and, you know, he's capturing the drama. Yeah. It's a little bit hyperbolic in places, yep. but he wants us to know something was happening. Yeah. This was unusual. But the ministry starts local. They go around these local yeah. towns yeah. Um, before they do expand to the Gentiles and then end up in Jerusalem. But, yeah. Um, and continuing to speak of this um, this energy of God, I think that's sometimes more helpful language or reign of God, force of yeah. God, whatever, that um, disrupts the powers of death and violence and evil and power over mm. entirely disrupts those. Yep. So while we're sort of still on discipleship, Mark has that um, very confronting version of the if you would be one of my disciples, pick up your cross and follow me, yes. which again Luke softens with a, Pick up your cross daily, which of course immediately makes it a metaphor, not yes. a literal thing. Yes. But do you think that's literal in Mark? I mean, how? I think the author of Mark is um, being, or, or the Jesus in in Mark is being really honest about this. This Cost. is costly and you could get killed. Like sort of the opposite of most models of leadership now where it's like, follow me and we'll make wherever great again or, you know, everything's <laughs> going to be all Like it's such an amazing disruption of that kind of construct. It's actually going to be really hard and yep. you could be like there's some great um, work that's been done like talking about the context at the time that you could be kicked out of your family if mm. you were following Jesus or out of your work. Out of your synagogue? Out of your synagogue, out of your, um, uh, like, the safety of, like, if the state's starting to look at you. And also in that um, the Greco-Roman context too, so not just within the Jewish context, but if you're becoming a Christian and uh, then you're not making sacrifices to Zeus or to Apollo Mm. or the other gods, you know, there was this increasing fear that you're going to bring these gods' anger on us and the whole town's going to get smited. Like, you know, if you read um, yeah. Justin Martyr and others, like people are hurling abuse at Christians for being pagans because they won't do all these um, liturgies and sacrifices to the local Greek and Roman gods. And the fear was literal that 
towns would be smashed as a consequence of yeah, knowing these gods. So if you're getting hostility from all these places, death is a possibility. Um, so, mm. you know, and that argument about whether Jesus really said that or not because it's unlikely, I think that's a really hard argument to pin down because Jesus said so many unlikely things. Like that's, yeah. not, that's not a sufficient reason to go, oh, well, he couldn't have said that. Who knows? I think that there was clearly a sense of this is dangerous and you need to know up front before you join that it will be costly. That, yeah, yeah. Um, what else strikes you? So we've touched on discipleship, um, the demon cosmic uh, aspects of the text, death and the cross. I wonder um, about Christology, I mean, oh, which we've yeah. kind of touched yeah, on have. in these conversations. Let's but is then. there anything else you want to say Christologically about the way Mark portrays Jesus? I would really like to because there's a quite popular view in some circles that Mark has a really low Christology because there's no virgin birth narrative or there's no epic poem like the beginning of John's Gospel. Mm. And I think that's a really problematic argument um, because, again and again, the central emphasis is that Jesus is the one with authority and it's not just any authority, it's the authority that God has. Yep. So that notion, like to be able to forgive sins is what God does and, yes. and Jesus does that. And to to have authority over cosmic evil means you must have some kind of cosmic uh, power, cosmic good power. Like mm. this is um, for the Star Wars fans, like this is the kind of imagery that's going on here about forces against one another. Which is why there's that weird thing about Beelzebub and yes. is he because it's like who else has the power over these demons exactly. if you're not a demon yourself Ex- or God, which is a problem if you, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that like people do all this kind of um, gymnastics around what does son of God mean or son of man. Yeah. I, I mean that's an interesting question but I'm not that um, fussed really because, <laughs> <laughs> because that's not that's not the heart of the Christological argument in Mark's gospel. The heart of the Christological argument is that Jesus has authority as the God one to heal, to cleanse, to liberate, to teach, mm. and and to calm nature as well, like calm the winds and everything. I was just going to say that the the calming of the storm and yep. the walking on water yep. are, are classic apocalyptic ways of describing control over nature, the chaotic forces yep. of nature, which uh, is a parallel to the exorcisms. It is, it is. And there's some who would argue that there's um, imagery of wisdom within that, Sophia, Mm. woman wisdom. Um, There may be. Um, I think there's some really interesting, and particularly because there's this gorgeous stuff in Mark where um, after the feeding narratives, like that's the revelation of who Jesus is. Like Mm. didn't they didn't notice about the bread, the author says. So it's not um, didn't notice that it liberated someone from cosmic evil and didn't notice that he raised someone or whatever. It's they didn't understand about the bread that fills yeah so this is the god one who among everything else like for the author that's really central that this is the one who nourishes as you yeah. know to filling to, to complete satisfaction so you know it could be that wisdom imagery is um in the background as well but um sent of there's a central aspect in which Jesus is the goal one. Whether that's just in the baptism or before again an interesting conversation um I think there are different views about that but regardless, mm. um, you're, you're seeing a pretty high Christology. It's a in really terms high of, yeah. Christology. No, I, I agree. I agree. And I think for me the son of God in the very first line is part of setting that up but then subverting it because it's like yes. son of God, he has the authority over all the things you've just named. And look- but then he will go to the cross and, yeah. he, you know, we'll talk in Chapter 10 about the son of man came not to, to be served but, but to, to serve. serve. That's right. Um, so subverting what? Son of God looks like yep. in terms of being in the world and what 
the nature of how that God liberates. And the nature of the kingdom. That means it's the serving kingdom and the nature of discipleship, which means we're called into it, which also then ties back to Peter's mum-in-law. She's the model disciple. Mm. Like she receives his liberation and then she gets up and serves. I mean, we can can argue that it's just, you know, another woman being... And that's that's a legitimate argument, but I think there's something more interesting going on there is like Peter doesn't get it and James yeah. and John want to be on either side as the heroes, but she gets up and does what Jesus does. Which is to serve, serve. or minister yeah, in that, that minister. word. There. Yep. Yeah. yeah, which is exactly what he talks about, his yeah. own ministry being. Yeah. If you're enjoying By The Well, please take a moment to review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Do we need to talk about women or any other things in Mark? I feel like there's not a lot of women, but there's a couple of subversive moments. There are, and there's some really, so um, people may find problematic Jesus' conversation with (laughs) a woman from another context. Yes. (laughs) And the imagery of the uh, dogs and the crimes of the children. in that Syrophoenician story, yep. But there's really amazing stuff that happens within that around Jesus' mind is changed through that conversation. Yep. And uh, and this is where we need to have a really much more sophisticated and robust understanding of, you know, truly human, truly divine, fully human, fully divine. But in that moment of realising, oh, my goodness, the kingdom is um, my, primarily for Israel but extended beyond Israel, yeah. then going on to have the second feeding narrative Possibly in, in a Gentile yeah. area. Yeah. And it's this gorgeous, I mean, it's so beautiful. So this one woman transforming Jesus, you know, what he's brought, brought up culturally and in a patriarchal context as mm. well, in religious context, to have his mind blown in that way mm. and then extend the feast is just astonishing. So the women who are there are, are important and powerful. Yeah, they are. And do um, one of my favourite stories is in Mark 5 with the, the woman who's hemorrhaging. Oh, yeah. And when we get to that in the lectionary, I can't wait to talk more about it, but there is this wonderful way Jesus' body actually mimics and takes on her body. Yes. And the flow of power out of him is what kind of dries up her flow of blood and and almost does some kind of gender-bending characteristics going on. Absolutely. Um, you've got the anointing woman who's prophetic. Yeah. You know, there are these key moments where yeah. women emerge. Um, and. I think that's really important to emphasise too. And with Jesus saying, I've come to serve, in a patriarchal context, like that's taking on a woman's role. I know yes. there are male servants, but in, in the constructs of the culture, that is a, a woman's role. And so that even within Jesus' self, there's this um, subverting of expectations of God and power, but also masculinity and femininity, whatever constructs we want to put around those. So it's really powerful and and I I suspect sometimes when some of those harsher calls about taking up the cross, the author or Jesus within Mark's gospel is speaking to those with power. It's about undoing mm. their constructs of power. Like those without power are raised up yep. and those with power are challenged. Yeah, and depending on the context that you preach in, um, how we hear the power stuff is going to be very different, I think, yes. because it is that classic, um, you know, making the comfortable uncomfortable. Yeah. uncomfortable yeah. and um, comforting the afflicted. You know, that to those with power, this is an enormously challenging gospel. Absolutely. But to those who are powerless and feel the oppression and the weight of evil systems in the world, this yep. is such a word of liberation, Absolutely. which is exactly what the good news is. And I think in our lives we can all go through seasons of both of those things yeah. like, and, and also insights about where we are. 
So that's why it continues to be so fresh because we're challenged anew either to step up and stand up and be bold or to step back and give mm. other people space. You know, like that's an ongoing. Yeah, none of us are only one thing no. all the time. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Well, we're almost out of time, Sally, and I so appreciate you um, having this exciting conversation about <laughs> Mark. We could probably talk for another two hours. Um, but do you have any last words to say, any favourite verse, anything we haven't touched on? I'd love to encourage people to read the whole gospel in one sitting and maybe even read it out loud, maybe even read it with someone else because it was written to be read aloud. Yeah. And um, the, I think you hear some of the humour when you actually read it out loud. Um, to zoom in, read those passages, um, particularly after the feeding and um, the disciples just don't get what's going on. They're pretty humorous and the disciples totally missing the point and um, Jesus talking about beware of the you know, the Pharisees and what they're on about. So that's mm. pretty, yeah, there's there's so much here. Enjoy. Yeah, and it seems to me with what you've just said, if we can capture both the humour and the drama in our preaching, we'll have, we'll have done, Mark, some credit this exactly. year. Exactly. And I think, you know, letting people know that they can laugh is a really powerful thing because some of it's supposed to be funny. We're supposed to yeah. laugh with, with people at Peter a little bit and the others, you know. <laughs> Bless Peter, but, you know, we're all Peter in our own way. But, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you've been listening to Sally Douglas here with us on By the Well and all the best in your preaching, Mark, this year. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College, the Uniting Church in Australia, and produced by Adrian Jackson. Adrian Jackson.